This just came this week, actually, from the Middle East, and I wanted to show you the first people to see it. I want to show it to you because it's going to show you the incredible contrast between this and what we evangelicals or Christians in the West are so turning our back on the truth that has been our heritage. It's a contrast. Because, my friends, there can be no doubt in any reasonable person, reasonable person, doesn't have to be a Christian, a reasonable person, that we are in a crisis. Our nation, as we celebrate this 245th birthday, is in a great crisis. Our crisis is not primarily economics or educational, even though we have great crises in those areas, but primarily is a crisis of moral. It is a crisis of moral crisis that stems from truth deficit disorder. (laughs) While COVID-19 paralyzed the globally, the, the economic economically, globally. It threw millions out of work. It destroyed many a business. Even mighty nuclear aircraft carrier, USS Theodore Roosevelt, was immobilized by that virus. The pandemic took millions of lives, and including nearly three-quarters of a million of our fellow citizens in the United States. While this global pandemic was sobering, and it's a sobering reminder that our military might and our economic might can be brought to a standstill by a sub-microscopic organism. Uh, uh, This virus, so small that you can only see it with an electron microscope, and yet it brought nations to its knees. But Our present crisis, which we are facing now, is far more dangerous than COVID-19 could ever be. I want to break this present crisis down. Those of you who have read my book, Hope for This Present Crisis, know that I am deeply concerned about this crisis. I'm deeply concerned about the only hope for this present crisis. That's why I wrote the book. And I want to share with you four things about this present crisis that we are facing in America and in the West. First of all, I want to tell you about the nature of this present crisis. And secondly, I want to tell you about the danger of this present crisis. And thirdly, I want to give you the answer, the only answer to this present crisis. And finally, the action that we need to take, every one of us, young or old, don't sit here and say, well, I'm too young for this, I can't do this. God will, I'm going to give you examples. God can use you at any age. First of all, the nature of our present crisis. Simply put, the present crisis is the disappearance of objective truth the collapse of biblical influence in the Western world. Oh, there are plenty of religions, plenty of churches, but biblical truth. 
all across America and Europe, Bible-believing, Christ-centered churches are emptying. Unbelief is spreading. An entire generation has turned away from God. So many so-called mega-churches are into self-worship, walkism, social justice, critical race theory, gender theory, and all the rest of it. I won't get into it. In short, they are preaching and reflecting the secular gods of money, pleasure, politics, and power. They no longer reflect the God of the Bible. The national result is that we have more addictions than ever, more suicides than ever, more violence than ever, uh, more abortions than ever, fewer marriages than ever, and more empty cradles than ever. The national crisis is a deeper political division and racial division and riotings on the streets. In April 2021 issue of The Atlantic, not known for being an evangelical publication. The writer says that, and I quote, as Christianity has declined, political division has grown. It's not a Christian writer. And he continues, over the past two decades, church membership in America has dropped from 70% to 50%. The number of atheists and agnostics have grown to a quarter of the population. As Christianity's hold has weakened, ideological fragmentation had arisen. He continues, what was once religious belief has now been channeled into political belief. On the left, walk radicals takes the religious notion of original sin. Again, the man is continuing. He's not a Christian. <laughs> On the left, the walk radicals take religious notions of original sin and excommunications, and they use them to secular ends. This, my beloved friend, listen to me, without Christianity in America, conservatives or liberals alike no longer have common culture. End of quote. The words of the Atlantic seems like writing the obituary for America. For years, atheists like Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens have been saying that Christianity is the problem. And they claim that if religion would just go away, hatred and division would disappear. Now we know what is happening. But the rapid decline of Christianity has only brought about rise in division hatred, absolute denial of truth, and brought conflict in America, not peace. My friends, our nation, this nation that I loved before I ever stepped foot in it, our nation, founding principles, which I loved way before I became a citizen, 
our nation, the greatest experiment in freedom ever in history. Our nation, our beloved nation, is more divided than any time since the Civil War. Why? Because people have made a religion out of an evil political ideology. Listen to me. God designed us to worship Him alone. We were made to believe in Him as the only one true God. And this is the foundational start of the United States of America. The founders understood that if we cease to believe in the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, something else is going to fill that God-shaped void. For many people today, that substitute religion is a, a radical Marxist political activism. But even radical political division is not the most urgent crisis today. It's not. Political strife is just the symptoms. It's just the symptoms of a much deeper crisis. Our most urgent crisis is spiraling decline of biblical truth and morality. The most urgent crisis is the moral and spiritual hollowing of our society from within. All other social ills that we face, they stem out of the decline of biblical Christianity in America today. Demographers like uh, uh, George Barner has conducted many, many, many surveys. I don't build my life or my faith on demographies and, 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 and statistics, but they're always helpful tools. He has shown one survey after another how the church has been infected by worldly belief systems. Bana tells us that 17%, listen carefully, 17% of serious-minded church-going Christians, 17% have biblical worldview. Barna defined biblical worldview this way. A biblical worldview means believing in the absolute moral truth that exists, that the Bible is totally accurate in all of its principles, that we cannot earn our salvation in heaven through our good works, that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on this earth, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for every repentant sinner, that He rose again on the third day, and that Satan is a real being, not mere symbol, and that God is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator and ruler of the world. Seventeen percent who claim to be Christians, and I'm not talking about atheists or agnostics, I'm talking about those who claim to be Christians, seventeen percent deny the very biblical view 
of the world. How is that possible? How is that possible? There are times I'm, I'm grieving in my spirit. The answer, many in the churches, in the churches, have allowed worldly ideas to infect their belief. George Barna found that 61% of Christians agree with the ideas of Eastern mysticism and New Age mysticism. 61% of Christians. And that 54% of Christians, or so-called Christians, believe that non-Christian religions can lead to God, and that Jesus is not the only way. You don't want to go in a corner and just weep over the nation. Now, my friends, as goes the church, so goes the nation. America is divided because we in the church have failed. What we have failed to, to do is tenaciously hold fast into biblical teaching. Mega church pastors now, they'll rather make people happy and feel good about their sin than repent and turn to the Lord. This is the nature of our present crisis. The Bible believing churches are becoming smaller and smaller in number. Biblical faith is in decline in many a church, and the result, America is in decline. The second thing I want to share with you today is the danger of the present crisis. Somebody was reading my notes. I said, are you giving them the cliff notes of your book? I said, well, <laughs> some of you may not want to read a, a big, long book. There's only a hundred and some pages. <laughs> but there's a second. Secondly, is the danger of this present crisis. See, most Americans assume, and, and look, I, I'm not judging. I'm just telling you that I, I've known enough people, I've been around enough, I've read enough to know that most Americans, I'm not saying all, most Americans assume that our democracy and the way of life will always endure. Am I right? That's the average person. But throughout history, we know that empires and nations have collapsed again and again and again. Today, Western society shows every sign of approaching collapse. Listen to me. The warning signs that have foreshadowed the fall of the Roman Empire have appeared in America today. Let me just give you some examples. Roman, Rome fell because of debauchery and moral anarchy. Ethnic and political strife spread across the empire. The military was stretched too far and too thin. The empire became unable to control its borders. <laughs> the corrupt Roman government spent itself into bankruptcy. These perils, my beloved friend, listen to me, between ancient Rome and 21st century America are deeply troubling for any thinking person. And this immigrant, listen to me, this immigrant to this country will not be silenced. Amen. As historian Neil Ferguson of the Hoover Institution warns us, 
He says, empires in decline seem to outwardly strong for a period of time, and then a quick and abrupt collapse. Many Muslim thinkers believe that when America and Europe fall, Islam is going to rush to fill the void. A Muslim scholar told me some not many years ago that Islam spread in the Middle East and North Africa by the sword. Yes, they admit that, <laughs> believe it or not. They don't call themselves the religion of peace. Only misguided leaders in America call them the religion of peace. But Muslim leaders don't call it themselves religion of peace. This is, Islam spread in Middle East and North Africa by the sword. But Western culture will be handed to us on a platter. He told me, soft and undisciplined Westerners are no match for the soldiers of Islam. The West will fall into our hands like an overripened fruit. What is at the stake in this present crisis is nothing less than the future of America. I never thought I'm going to see the day when militant Muslims are serving in the Congress, when militant Muslims advocate anti-Semitism, when militant Muslims are manipulating and coordinating policies in the United States of American Congress. I never thought I'd see the day. And beloved, nothing less than the future of our children and our grandchildren is at the stake. Question, is there no hope? Is America doomed to collapse? No, absolutely not. There is hope. Decline is not inevitable. Decline is a choice. But you and I must make wise and godly choices. Our generation is choosing right now whether civilization will rise or fall. My friends, listen to me. Listen to me. It is time to give away fear. It is time to give away silence. It is time for faith. It is time for courage. It is time to stand up and be counted. I'm going to tell you something else that probably 90% of you will not like, but that's okay. I love you anyway. I always tell you the truth. I believe that true Bible-believing Christians in America need to prepare themselves for persecution. We should expect to be persecuted by the government. Blatantly, the IRS turned down a Christian group in Texas just the other day. They said, because that conservative group is a Christian, and therefore you should not receive tax-exempt status. Blatantly, openly. They're not hiding it anymore. You see, when we refuse to compromise our faith, we will be persecuted. We should expect to be persecuted in the social media when we proclaim God, the God of the Bible. We should prepare our children to be persecuted in church, in schools, when they start to share the love of Christ with others, when they share their own love for Christ. 
we should take heed the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be watchful, stand firm in, in the faith, act like men, be strong. And so, if you refuse their effort to silence you, if you refuse their efforts to silence you, listen to me, you can expect persecution. If you are not at odds with the culture, you're at odds with Jesus. Make no mistake about it. So what is the danger of this present crisis? The future of our children and grandchildren. The souls of those who need to hear the true gospel of Jesus Christ repent and believe and be saved. Thirdly, I want to give you some answers to our present crisis. When I was a young pastor at this church, the Church of the Apostles was very small in number many years ago here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm saying that because there's some people, millions are watching around the world. This church was a tiny group of people meeting. We had a visit from a pastor of a mega church in America, and he sat in the back. He was not in this building, of course. And he sat in the back and he heard me preach, and afterward he thought he really wants to help me. I mean, this poor immigrant boy, he just needed help. And he really tried to help me as far as he was concerned. And he said, Michael, your church will never grow if you keep on preaching sermons like the one I heard today. He said, this, quote now, this in-your-face preaching will not build you a great church. Your message needs to be more positive and inviting. It needs to make people feel good about coming back. Listen, those members of this church will tell you, I've always, uh, look, at my age, I don't care what you think of me, because <laughs> I, I always tell you the truth, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Maybe when I was younger, I don't know, even then I didn't either. <laughs> but I always tell you the truth. For a time, I thought about what he said. I reflected. I considered what he said. Our church was small in comparison to his large church that was thriving. And I wondered, for a short period of time, I really wondered. To my shame, if I may not just begin to soften and soft pedal the message a little bit. See, we preachers know how to do that. Trust me. We know how to do that. Should I soften the edges, the rugged edges of the gospel? And then I heard God audibly say to me, Michael, I did not save your life from certain death, certain death, more than once, so that you can water down my word. Michael, I would rather you reach heaven with a handful of people who were saved through the uncompromised preaching of my gospel 
than have you entertained tens of thousands of people who will curse you from hell because you compromised my truth. That day, that day, many years ago now, I said to the Lord, as long as you give me breath, I will proclaim your uncompromised truth of your word. So, my friend, I'm speaking from experience when I say that we must cling to the truth that Jesus and Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the giver of eternal life, and that men are all, and women, boys and girls, we are born with sin, in sin, and we desperately need to repent and turn our backs on sin and Satan and receive salvation from the cross of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself said in Matthew 5.13, you are the salt of the earth. And He wasn't talking about just the preachers. He's talking about every one of us. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under feet. Jesus also said in, Ma- in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, listen carefully. If you abide in me, say that with me. If you abide in me. Can you do it so I can hear you? If, if you abide in me. And if you abide in my word, if you, abide in my word. You, are you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And, you will know the truth. and the truth will set you free. Praise God. Please understand, there's a price to be paid for proclaiming God's uncompromised truth. I'm not going to mislead you. There's a price. Oh, but the reward is unspeakable. In the past few years, I've heard several political leaders claiming that the First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States only grants us the right to worship privately. They said, we do not have the right to practice our faith in public. They said that Christians should not witness openly about their faith in the public square. They said that a Christian baker must design a wedding cake for same-sex couples and transgender persons in violation of God's Word and His own conviction, and they dragged him into courts. They say that Christian-owned companies must provide abortion coverage for the health of their employees. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Uh, reply must be the same as that of the apostle Peter. I don't have the answer. 
I'm not clever enough to have an answer. The Word of God has an answer, and our response must be in the words of the Apostle Peter, we must obey God rather than men. My beloved friends, listen to me, those who love Jesus. Every word we speak, every decision we make must be based on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our business dealing in every one of our dealings, we must ask ourselves, have I demonstrated Christ-like integrity or have I stained my testimony? Even in our spending of money, listen to me, even in our spending of money, we must ask, have I enslaved myself to the credit card and debt, buying stuff that I really don't need, stuff that has no eternal value, stuff from companies and countries that despise Christian faith? Ask yourself that question. Beloved friends, God's truth impacts every aspect of life every aspect of life. See, when we begin to compartmentalize God, that's when we got into trouble. Every aspect of life, if you hold to the teaching of Jesus, then you'll know the truth. And the truth is going to do what? Set you free. Today, the foundation of the Christian faith is under attack. Sometimes from even churches, from denomination, mainline denomination. They are assaulting the foundation of the Christian faith. They can never, never, never destroy the foundation. Make no mistake about it. They cannot. They can assault it, but they can never destroy it. As a matter of fact, the psalmist in Psalm 11.3 asks the question, if the foundations are be destroyed, what can the righteous do? But if we stand firm on the foundation of biblical truth, we will not be shaken. We will not be defeated. The gates of hell, Jesus said, will not be able to overcome us. The nature of the present crisis, the danger of the present crisis, the answer to the present crisis of holding tightly to the uncompromised teaching of the Word of God, and fourthly, finally, the action needed. The action needed. Every one of us can do this. Every one of us. Hear me out, please. God's uncompromised truth has the power in it to transform life. When the Apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It's the power of God unto salvation. The power is where? Not in the preaching. The power is in the gospel. Until we come to grips with this and understand this, that a life that is transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ can change the world. And just in case there's some here, I know not many in this room, but many may be watching and saying, well, the gospel, it's okay for you to preach the gospel, but what impact does it have on our culture? What impact does it have on society? Listen to me. It is the preaching of the gospel that has changed societies. In the 19th century, it was Bible-believing, soul-winning evangelist preachers like Charles Finney and Theodore Weld, who were at the forefront of the movement to abolish slavery. 
William Wilberforce, member of the British Parliament, for 23 years he lost his friends, he lost his inheritance, he lost his, his family members. They alienated him. But single-handedly, for 23 years, he, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, transformed his life. He got rid of that horrible institution of slave trade. They changed the world. Around the same time, a Bible-believing woman named Florence Nightingale ministered to the sick in the name of Jesus. And during the Crimean War, she trained other women for the healing art, and she founded the nursing movement, which we know it today. She changed the world. In 1855 in Boston, a Sunday school teacher of a Sunday school class for boys between 15 and 18 years old made the following statement to his class. He said, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man completely surrendered to Him. An 18-year-old shoe salesman in that class by the name of Dwight L. Moody jumped up and he said, I will be that man. And he became an evangelist who won countless souls. He changed two continents for Christ. He changed the world. God used him to change the world. If you want to change the world, begin with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where you begin. That's where you start. Tell people to repent of their sins. Don't tell them that God loves you just as you are and live like the devil. God loves you just no, no, nothing. You don't have to change. You don't have to be converted. You don't have to repent of your sins. That is a falsehood. And so I'm going to conclude by the most unlikely incident you've ever heard. And I want to tell you, after I heard this, I genuinely, genuinely put my head down in shame for my lukewarmness. And when you listen to this conversation, this podcast between two individuals not Christians at all. Because this answer is going to confirm, confirm to you what I'm trying to tell you. It, it's it's going to uh, confirm to you that what I'm trying to tell you is even been said by non-Christians. It was April 2021. April 2021. This podcast between a devout Muslim and a secular Jew Remember this. I don't want you to miss this. Are you with me? Because I don't want you to, if you missed everything I said, don't miss this, okay? <laughs> a devout Muslim, both Americans, and a secular Jew. They had a long talk about Christianity in America. But what amazed me, one of the men, Hamid Shadi, a journalist and a, a, and a thinker. He actually works at the Brookings Institution. Hamid Shadi said, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in Christianity. I don't believe Christianity to be the truth. I'm a Muslim, and I'm quite open about that. Yet I'm longing for more Americans to rediscover Christianity. Christianity. 
and to be more Christians. Even though I don't believe in Christianity myself. The other man is a columnist. You've seen him on television a lot by the name of Jonah Goldberg. He agreed. He said, I'm basically and essentially a secular Jew. And I very much worry about what's going to happen to America. To me, unchurched America is much scarier America. Imagine that. They're not hot-headed evangelicals. They're not conservative right-wing people. A devout Muslim and a secular Jew worry about the decline of Christianity in America. And they agreed in the end that America needs a Christian revival. <laughs> I don't know whether you're seeing this or not, but <laughs> if that is not a wake-up call, I don't know what. We've been rebuked by non-Christians. Beloved, it is time to get serious about our faith. And let's face it, if we get serious about our faith, if we witness and proclaim Christ and live out the gospel, we will be persecuted. The Bible tells us that. The Bible promises that. In 2 Timothy 4 and 2 Timothy 3.12, the apostle Paul said, all, can you say all? all? All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not maybe. They will be. Ah. Uh, but when the full-blown persecution comes, we must never hate we never, must never, never, never hate. Hate is not part of our vocabulary. They impute it on us. We must never attack. We must never repay evil, by evil with evil. We must respond with the love of Jesus Christ and the message of eternal life, a message that they can escape the judgment of God too if they repent of their sins and come to Jesus Christ. And we must proclaim it. And we proclaim it lovingly and humbly. And because we love, we will always tell the truth. I'm about to finish, but don't miss this point. There is such a lie, and I call it that lie, that's permeating every aspect of our culture. That if you love somebody, you're going to let them go their way, do whatever they want. It doesn't matter if they're hurting themselves, even if they're taking themselves all the way to hell. You just, if you love them, you keep quiet about it. Even we have a, a, one of the great Protestant leaders in America said, Jesus whispered about moral sins. Really? I hear him shouting in my Bible. We must always tell the truth. See, love compels us to tell the truth, not pander to them, not lie to them, just as it makes them like us. We will not play political games 
but we will tell them the truth. And that's because we love them, genuinely love them. And we have nothing in our hearts toward them other than they come to the love of Christ and understand what it means to be redeemed and the sins are forgiven. Jesus' very first sermon in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, the kingdom of God is at hand. Therefore, what? Repent. Therefore, what? Repent. That was the first message of Jesus. And beloved, that's going to be the very last message until he takes me home. Pray with me. Father, I pray. Since I don't know where everybody is right in front of me and the millions are watching around the world right now, but you do, I want to pray for that individual who's being misled and misguided of thinking that you love their sin and you want them to stay in their sin, that that person would turn from their wickedness and live, as the prophet Ezekiel said, and repent of their sin, so that they may experience the incredible forgiving love of Christ. For that Christian who'd been sitting in the salvation pew for so long, doing nothing, I pray in the name of Jesus, stir us up that we will do something, that every one of us will do something, and Lord, for these preachers who deliberately water down your gospel for popularity, I pray, forgive them, turn their hearts toward you, convict them, Father, by your Holy Spirit. And for these precious friends who are here today, I pray that you will minister to each soul, to each heart, and to each family. For Father, I pray all of this. In the mighty, matchless name that's above every name. Who's that? Who's that name? Every knee shall bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. And stand up and sing with us.